Ultimate Escape is a family-friendly ministry that addresses sexuality. Some episodes may contain sensitive terms and subject matter, especially for younger children. Hello and welcome to the Ultimate Escape Podcast. I'm David Chenault. You know, in a world where there is so much noise and confusion about sexuality, Ultimate Escape offers a safe place to discuss the truth. With creative insights and engaging topics, Steve and Holly Holiday, the founders of Ultimate Escape, break through the taboos, the hesitation, the fears, and equip parents, teens, teachers, and even church leaders to have meaningful dialogue with each other about sexuality. And we do it Every so often here on the podcast, you can find out more on our website at ultimateescape.org. Today, something special for you. We're going to talk with Steve Holliday about a presentation he gave at Pepperdine University several months back. We're going to talk to him about the program, what he thought going into the presentation and some of his thoughts afterwards. And we'll even include actual segments of that presentation kind of mixed in with our conversation today. So sit back and join us for the Ultimate Escape Podcast. So welcome to the podcast, uh, Steve. Uh, good to see you today. Thank you. Good to be here. Steve Holiday, of course, with us, Ultimate Escape. And um, we're going to talk today about a talk that you gave at uh, Pepperdine University in California. Um, you were invited to one of their events called the Pep Talks. It's kind of a, a TED Talk-like event, if you're familiar with TED Talks. Uh, you got invited out there to speak uh, about your story, about Ultimate Escape. Tell me a little bit, how, how did this all come about? Yeah, so part of the annual uh, Pepperdine Lectureship, and I got a phone call last November from Joshua Parrish. He's the one who coordinates the pep talks and invited me to come out and, and share. And I had heard of pep talks before or heard of um, TED Talks before and had seen one or two, but not not uh, very familiar with them. And so I, I was thrilled for the opportunity and agreed to do it. Um, if I'd had any idea how uh, involved it was to to get prepared to do it, uh, this is way out of my comfort zone. Uh, my normal presentation style, I mean, you've seen, you know, Ultimate Escape presentations for years. Normal presentation style is very uh, audience engaging, uh, a lot of uh, object lessons, a lot, a lot of fun, you know, experiential kind of stuff. And this was a, a, a crafted, memorized, sure. time-limited presentation, which, you know, none, none of that uh, is what I'm used to. Uh, and it was a really big challenge uh, to to get all this together and, and ready to do it. I had a great time uh, there at Pepperdine and enjoyed the chance to do it. But I told Joshua if I'd had any idea uh, how how difficult it was going to be getting getting ready, especially in light of my wife's accident. You know, she had a car wreck uh, back in December, and the first three months of our year, right, we just turned upside down. Sure, sure, uh, and so. I think I squeezed the preparation into a shorter time period than recommended and than, than I would have preferred, but uh, went out and did it, got to meet some new people, really had a good time. And you, well, and you normally speak, I mean, you, you do weekend events right. or, or, or two or three day session things uh, where, where events that are going over two or three days. So what, what's the what's going through your head? How do you say, okay, I've got to whittle this down to... 18 minutes. Now, obviously, there's very limited on what we can address. Mm. And so, you know, trying to put the highlights of a story and talk about an important topic and, you know, figuring out what's what's the core message. Uh, you know, in 18 minutes or less, uh, what is it that I want, pe- want people to walk away with? Uh, and uh, Joshua had, had given me some coaching on, you know, how to craft this and put this together uh, and had a couple other people that I had run some ideas past. And so I finally came up with... Uh, 
the basic thesis that um, you know we we can't continue a church culture of silence and secrecy when it comes to sex. Mm. Uh, and so I put a title to it, Satan's Secret Weapon, mm. and really try to emphasize the importance of talking. And mm. this is a topic that it's taboo. It's taboo in a lot of cultures, not just American. And it's not just any particular church. It's Christianity as a whole. Sure. Uh, we've shied away from addressing this, you know, I mean, God designed sex. Uh, it's not like it's a bad thing. Right. Uh, but, you know, there's a lot of secrecy and shame around talking about sex. And, and we can't continue that, not in a not in a culture that is just so flooded mm. with sexual messages everywhere. Sure, sure. So you start your speech off with? Of course, I didn't talk to my son about sex at age eight. Of course, I didn't talk to my son about sex at age eight. I didn't know I needed to talk to my son about sex at age eight. I was talking with the mother of my 14-year-old client about his session that day. He disclosed a sexual encounter he had at age eight. When it happened, he didn't know what to do, and so he kept it a secret. What he needed was for someone to talk to him about sex before age eight. And he's not the only one. 90% of our society in our culture, American Western culture, we don't talk about sex before age eight. We don't talk about sex before age 15 or, or 20 sometimes. Hopefully there are some parents out there who had those conversations before eight, but the majority don't. Uh, so I think it's a universal thing and it grabs attention. At the same time, it introduces uh, the story that's really core uh, to this whole talk, and that is that particular client and what their journey was and um, you know, why it would have been so much better if someone had talked about sex before age eight. So this client, so, so take, me through this, take me through the speech. Um, you start off talking about this client, the unthinkable, what we typically have always, un, you know, that's unthinkable for us to start talking to our kids before age eight, um, uh, second graders talking about sex, um, and yet that could make all the difference in someone's lives down the road. And age eight is is way later than it should be. Hmm. Um, you know, I, I mean, you've heard me present to parents about uh, talking. You know, how do you talk to your children about sex? And I would certainly encourage by age three or four. Hmm. You know that those conversations are happening. Uh, age appropriate, you know, the definition of, you know, body parts and what the right words are and that we're using the right words. We're not making up pet names and calling it this or that. It's a, you know, if you're a little girl, you've got a vagina. If you're a little boy, you've got a penis. Uh, and we can we can say those words just as easy as we talk about, you know, drinking a milkshake or having a hamburger or reading a bedtime story or going to swing on a playground. It's, it's a fact of life. Mm. Approximately one out of every three children will be sexually abused before they turn 18. Over half of 17-year-old girls have had oral sex. According to a recent Barnard report, one out of every three girls and two out of every three boys ages 13 to 24 are viewing porn at least once a month. According to the same report, more than half of teenagers believe that failing to recycle is morally worse than looking at porn. Historically, we have not addressed sexuality in a healthy way. A culture of silence and secrecy about sex has been perpetuated for centuries. And the little attention sex has received has been predominantly negative, creating a perception that sex is bad or dirty. 
But culture is definitely not silent. It screams 24-7 at young and old alike. Sexual messages and images bombard us. And unlike previous generations, you don't have to go looking for it. It comes and finds you. It seems like the only places where sex is not talked about are home and church. But our children need us to do better. And God calls us to do better. In a world saturated with sexual content, continuing a church culture of silence and secrecy is not an option. So we, you know, we open up with that story and then talk about, you know, what historically, what have we done and the, the absence of information and the, the, the presence of shame and how this has continued on you know, for, for centuries and centuries in Christian culture. You talk about age appropriate conversations. The kids don't always get everything that's being said, but the message that comes across is these concepts are okay to talk about. Mm-hmm. So when I'm confronted with this topic, when this situation happens at school, when I overhear this word being used by the kids on the playground, I know as a child, I know it's okay to talk about that with my parents because I don't know what that word was. I still don't know what that word was, but I heard my mom say it mm-hmm. to me in a context that was a safe place in a safe context. Is, so that, it's very normal to go home and ask yeah. as opposed to go home and in secret type it into Google. Yeah. Which those two things lead to two very different places. Vastly different destinations um, and and resulting harm or, or healing. Right. Either one of those things. Secrets are one of Satan's most powerful weapons. He uses them to trap and destroy. I know that because it's a major part of my own story. I have no memory of childhood without this dark cloud of shame and secrecy around sex. The door to that world was opened very early in my life and no one talked about it. I was consumed with thoughts and behavior I didn't understand. Sex in my world created this deep, dark cavern of shame. And I didn't know what to do. Sex became this vicious thief that robbed me of my childhood and stole the intimacy for my future marriage. But I'm not the first victim of Satan's secret weapon. He's been using it for thousands of years. Consider the story of Tamar in 2 Samuel chapter 13. After being raped by her half-brother Amnon, Tamar's brother Absalom pressured her to just keep quiet and forget about it. And Tamar lived in Absalom's house after that, a desolate woman. Keeping quiet and forgetting about or ignoring sexual issues does not produce good results. We withhold accurate information about sex from our children, and then we shame or punish them when they misbehave sexually. Our silence is playing into Satan's trap. Thankfully, God broke the silence in my life when he led me to a place where people were talking about the issue. Bethesda Workshops in Nashville, Tennessee. At age 33, I experienced healing I never thought possible. And my life began. Two years later, in my own recovery, I was going through a study of rewards, both the purpose for my life, and God revealed His purpose for me. God called me the least likely person on the planet to be talking about sex to begin a ministry that helps young people overcome sexual struggles. Like he has throughout history, God took a mess and turned it into a powerful message for good. 
For the past 13 years, God has been working through that ministry, Ultimate Escape, to help young people and adults overcome sexual struggles and follow His plan for sexuality. One of our major goals is to help churches and families talk openly about sex. We've been able to do that in Canada and Brazil, Uganda and Australia, and all across the United States. Sex is taboo in many cultures, and so finding a way to help people be comfortable about the topic was a challenge. I began early on using common objects to illustrate basic concepts about sex. You can learn a lot about sex from a fill-in-the-blank. became Ultimate Escape's trademark phrase. And it's been amazing to see how this simple approach puts people at ease regardless of language or culture. In 2013, Ultimate Escape presented a conference on sexuality and trauma to over 400 church leaders in central Uganda. Although most of the attendees were married couples, the group segregated itself by gender. It was obvious how uncomfortable that audience was as they sat waiting for the first session of Fun Theology of Sex. I opened with our classic illustration, you can learn a lot about sex from a chocolate bunny. As soon as the translator finished that, that phrase, laughter broke out. Within minutes, the, uh, the discomfort in the group was gone, and I noticed that men and women were sitting together in the next session. Sexual brokenness is a global problem. And regardless of age or nationality or economic status, people need accurate information about sex. The lack of information about sex is fertile ground for Satan to plant lies. And when lies take root, the shame that follows is toxic to the soul. I was talking with an 18-year-old female. She had been sexually assaulted by a male friend at a Christian youth leadership convention two years prior. She didn't tell any adults, but she confided in a friend at school the following week. Her friend reacted in shock and said, I can't believe you did that. As we talked, she described feeling like the entire thing was all her fault. It's common for victims of sexual abuse to internalize responsibility for the abuse. As we processed, well, I'm sure that the words of her friend echoing in her mind were like concrete, uh, just reinforcing her belief. As we processed that thing in our conversation, I asked her to help me understand exactly what her actions were. She sat quietly for almost a minute, replaying the scenario in her mind. I didn't do anything. He did it. I saw a smile break out on her face. The lie, it's all my fault, had produced this iceberg of shame, and the truth began melting it away. Secrecy silences our voice. But when we talk about hurtful sexual experiences, it can allow the truth to set us free from lies that feel true, allowing the heart to embrace or accept what is true. In my introduction, I mentioned a 14-year-old client who had had a sexual encounter at age 8. He had been to the home of the same age friend who spent the night, and the two boys slept on the same couch. That night, they mutually engaged in sexual touch. My client described going home the next day, feeling like God had put him to a test, and he had failed. He hated himself. He was really ticked off at God for doing that to him. 
and he didn't tell anybody. We worked together for almost a year, meeting weekly, dealing with the sexual train wreck that had occurred over those six years since that event. My client engaged in some extremely difficult work that many adult clients would have abandoned, and he made incredible progress. Behaviors that had been a daily struggle for years were no longer part of his life. His psychiatrist removed him from all medication, and his mother described him as a completely different person. In one of our last weekly sessions, my client shared that he was still struggling with guilt. He wanted God to forgive his sexual sins and make that part of him like new, but something was holding him back from being able to ask God to do that. So we set up an exercise to explore the resistance. My client made several impressions in a lump of Play-Doh to represent his sexual behavior in recent years. Viewing pornography, sexual touch, and oral sex. He wanted God, or he wanted to take that Play-Doh and bring it to God, who is represented in my office by a lamp that he picked out. But instead of walking to the lamp, I saw him take a step back. I'm curious what thought is running through your mind, I said. He replied, I don't deserve to be forgiven. That was the resistance. We unpacked that for a few minutes. It was as though this, this chain of guilt and shame had him anchored to a mountain of granite. What I did was so bad, I don't deserve to be forgiven. Theologically, he knew better, but it felt true at the core of his being. So eventually, I asked him to select another object in the room to represent Satan. He picked out a space heater on the floor. I said, ultimately, there are two voices in the universe, God and the enemy. Which voice would be saying, you don't deserve to be forgiven? His eyes landed on the heater. The enemy. And the other voice might be saying, I don't even know if he ever responded to my prompt, because I got distracted by what he was doing with his hands. Physically, he's standing in the middle of my office, and his eyes are focused on the lamp. But mentally, he is somewhere else. I noticed his hands rolling the Play-Doh back into a smooth ball. I waited, not wanting to interrupt what was going on. And eventually I said, tell me what your hands are doing. He looked down and saw what he had done. And he looked up at me with this most joyful expression I've ever seen on him. And he said, I can ask him now. Like Moses watching the Red Sea engulf the Egyptian army, I knew I had just watched a miracle. When sex goes wrong, it affects every aspect of our being. And when we lock that in the vault of secrecy, truth gets locked out. But when truth breaks in, freedom follows. Jesus said it himself in John 8, 32. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. One of the most compelling reasons for parents and churches to talk openly about sex is that early intervention can prevent a lifetime struggle. I was speaking at a conference in Brazil several years ago, and the father of a three-year-old boy approached me. He and his wife were concerned about their son because he was constantly touching himself in the morning. I mentioned that it's not uncommon for young children to do that, and it may not be sexually motivated. 
we talked about the calming effect that that can have and its connection between anxiety and emotions. I gave him a list of eight feeling words and suggested that he go talk to his son about those words. Two years later, I was back at that same conference, and that father found me to give me an update. He had chosen to have a conversation with the son about emotions, and they set up daily feelings check-ins together. Within a short time, the behavior had stopped. He went on to tell me that even now, if they go very many days without a check-in, his son will come to him and say, Dad, can we talk about our feelings? When we talk about sexual issues early and openly in spite of the awkwardness, we set our children up for a future of healthy sexuality. Perhaps the most important reason for changing our church culture around sex is that people need to change. Porn, sexting, sexual identity confusion, sexual abuse, affairs, hookups, Practically every family is dealing with these issues. And an inch below our superficial conversations is an ocean of desperation to talk about what we're really dealing with. I was in Hawaii a while back speaking at the Kona base for Youth with a Mission. I was getting my rental car and the lady who was helping me noticed the Ultimate Escape logo that was on that shirt. And she asked, what's Ultimate Escape? I said, it's a ministry that helps young people deal with sexual issues. She stopped typing. She looked up at me, and she said, oh, I wish there had been something like that when I was a little girl. And she went on to talk about being molested starting at age five and having to live in that situation with no one to help. Think about it. A stranger at a little People are thirsting for permission to talk. We need to unbolt the door and give them a safe place to open up. Humor is a common defense against things that hit too close to home. So I frequently run across people who joke about ultimate escape. I was speaking at a retreat one time, and there was a staff member giving me a particularly difficult time about what I do. Finally, I said, well, what age did it start for you? His tone changed immediately. He said, well, Steve... I was five years old, and that's all he could get out. He began sobbing and literally ran inside and up the stairs to his mom. I followed him and listened for almost an hour while he talked about being forced into child porn starting at age five. His story was one of the most traumatic I had ever heard. He was in his 60s, and he had been an alcoholic since age 12. He'd lost multiple marriages and had practically no relationship with his children. He had never talked about his background. What if someone in his church had talked about these things when he was 10? Imagine the difference. Secrets are powerful weapons. And secrets about sex destroy lives. Disarm the enemy. Talk to your children about sex. Teach your grandchildren. If you have a story, share it. Encourage your church leaders to talk openly about the topic. Be the generation that begins a legacy of healthy sexuality. Because continuing a church culture, silence, and secrecy about sex is not an option.
So uh, you finish up your speech and an immediate response. Everybody went out and talked to their children about sex. <laughs> we hope. <laughs> did you get some feedback, immediate feedback from I folks? Did. I did. There were several people who came up after the event was over and you know asked for business cards. Uh, there were several people who had situations they wanted to run past and you know get some feedback about. Um, overwhelmingly, response was positive mm. of, man, we really do need to talk about this. It's one of those things that uh, people can say amen to, but then they're not really always sure where to start. Is that typical? Yeah, and, and the easy thing after a presentation like that is to say, yeah, we agree, that that's right. And right. then, you know, wake up the next morning and life's back to normal. Sure. So where do they go? Where I mean, when someone says, wow, I agree, but what, I don't know where to go. Where, where's my first step? Uh, well, one option is the Ultimate Escape website. Uh, our presentation, Talking to Children About Sex, is available on our website. Uh, that's an hour and 15 minutes or so of how, how do we have those conversations? What do we talk about at, at various ages? And uh, what are things to avoid talking about? What are, what are some reactions to have, not to have, if certain situations come up? Uh, and there are several books out there for parents on how to talk to our kids about sex. One of, one of the ones I recommend is Angry Birds and Killer Bees. Hmm. Basically, talking to your children about sex. Hmm. You know, there, there are some great books uh Jim Burns, director of Homeward Ministries uh, out in California, has authored a couple of books. One is for ages three to five, and the other is ages kind of six to nine. Uh, God Made Your Body, How God Makes Babies. Uh, I highly recommend those. Uh, they weren't available when our kids were coming up. We had the God's Design for Sex series, the, the older series. And in Savannah, when Savannah, our only girl, we have three boys and one girl. When Savannah was at eight, nine Age, age range, it was almost every night, can we read the baby book? I don't know how many times we read the book about you know where, where babies come from. Mm-hmm. And it's a great tool because as a parent, I don't have to come up with the how do I have the conversation. I just read the book. Right. You know, especially the Burns book. The graphics are great, age appropriate, very colorful, um, simple terms. It's in a, it's in a God con- uh, connotation. So it's a Christian worldview context. Sure. I, I can't recommend those books enough because it takes the pressure off the parent. Hmm. I don't have to know what to say. I just need to read the book. Sure. And hey, if my child is three and four years old and we're reading this book consistently, then they're ready for that next one by age six, seven. Sure. Uh, and when we've read that a few times and all of a sudden now saying words like vagina and penis and talking about where babies come from, it, it becomes normal. Uh, there's no shame and awkwardness about it. And then when they're older, uh, talking about more difficult conversation, sure. uh, that, that's, it's, it's no problem because it's just, it's always normal. Um, the other thing, you know, where, where can people go? Uh, I would hope they can go, if they're involved in a church, go back to their church leadership and say, hey, this is a topic, you know, maybe we haven't done a very good job, you know, with our kids, and we're probably not the only parents who haven't done a good job. Help us. Uh, what are some resources? Uh, let, let's, if, if our church hasn't done a good job with this, let's do something different. How can we start doing a good job with it? So be a, be a catalyst for change. Sure. Because in one way or the other, uh, whether you get it from a podcast like this or a website, Ultimate Escape website, or, or, or a speech, if you if you happen to go to one of the uh, Ultimate Escape uh, programs or events that you're hosting around the country at different times, uh, one way or the other, they're no longer able to say, I didn't know I was supposed to talk to my kids 
before age eight mm-hmm. or at two or three. Um, the only excuse now is I didn't. And, and that puts it back on the parent to mm-hmm. say, hey, you can. You know you need to, just making that first step. Yeah, and may involve a conversation with a, with a child. Yeah. Uh, hey, you know, I wish I'd done a good job talking about this from the time you were little, and I didn't. Mm. And that's, that's my fault. That's my responsibility. But I'm planning on doing a better job from here on out. So sure. hold on, because we're going to talk a lot more about this than we have. Um, it's not, it's not a threat. Uh, that's just a, I'm painting the picture of the future. Hey, I haven't done a good job in the future. I'm planning on doing a better one. Um, so just be ready. We're going to be talking openly. And as a parent myself and a family minister at times as well, I know that sometimes you have to push through those points where the kids, when the kids become uncomfortable, sometimes that's a good sign that you're going exactly where you need to go because they they like to throw up those defenses, but they're, like you said before, they're dying to have that conversation yeah. down the road, uh, right then or maybe down the road. And so uh, when they start to get uncomfortable, my wife and I always use that as, as a gauge. When they're suddenly uncomfortable with something and we're like, we're exactly where we need to be. Let's just push on through this. This is perfect. Yeah, and if the parent is comfortable, the the child is likely to be much more comfortable than if they sense the parent is sweating bullets. Mm, Yeah, yeah. Thanks for joining us today, Steve. Appreciate it. That's going to wrap it up for this edition of the Ultimate Escape Podcast. If you'd like to provide some feedback or have any questions or would like more information, you can always contact us on our website. That's ultimateescape.org. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the podcast, get an update whenever a new podcast is available at all of the places that you enjoy receiving podcasts like iTunes, Google Play Store, as well as Stitcher and many others. You can even play the Ultimate Ultimate Escape Podcast over your Alexa device. Simply say, Alexa, play the Ultimate Escape Podcast. And again, thank you for joining us. I'm David Chenault for the Ultimate Escape Podcast. Mm-hmm.